You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, it is, uh, it's good to be here this morning. I'm glad to be up here and uh, get to share a message with everybody this morning before I take off on uh, some sabbatical time away, a little much needed uh, rest and uh, uh, reflection and kind of rejuvenating. The message that I'm going to share this morning, um, I'm really excited to share for a couple different reasons. First of all, it's something that has really spoke to me kind of personally lately um, and really kind of uh, just resonates with stuff that I've been going through personally over the last several months and things that have been going on in my life. And this particular lesson kind of just really um, kind of impacted me and caused me to reflect and, and kind of think. And so for that reason, I'm excited to kind of share it with everybody. It's also a pretty cool opportunity for me to share some of the stuff that I learned going to Israel and this last summer was able to go and uh, with Aaron on a study tour. And so some of the stuff that we learned there, I get to kind of unpack and help bring you along on part of that trip, which is really cool. And then I get a chance to kind of pass on some cool stuff that I've learned from uh, great teachers like Aaron and Brad Gray, who uh, have just been really uh, influential in helping me learn and grow in my depth of understanding um, not only the Bible, but kind of the Bible world in the Bible times, like the context of what was going on uh, in and around these stories that we study and unpack. And so it's fun to get a pass on stuff that you've learned. And so um, for that reason, I'm pretty excited about it. The story that we're going to jump into this morning is out of John 21. And what's interesting about this story is we get kind of a unique opportunity to see the disciples at a time where they were sort of struggling, where they were sort of kind of hung up, like wondering what to do next, maybe. And I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, maybe we're there right now. Maybe we can easily think of times in our life where we've been sort of stuck, where we have not been real clear about what to do next. Maybe there's been times in our life where we weren't really sure what God was calling us to do or exactly who he was calling us to be, and we've wrestled with some uncertainty and stuff, and I know that's been true in my life. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray, and, and I just really want God to speak to each of us here this morning personally, really just meet us right where we're at so that we walk out of here um, kind of having a real intimate experience with the Lord. And so uh, if you would, just, um, just join me in praying for that, would you? Let's pray. God, you're a good God, and I just love you, and I just thank you for how you look out for us. Thanks for your word and the light it is to our feet. Thanks for your son and all that he has done for us. God, speak through the text this morning and the story and the picture that you paint And help us to just really personally hear from you. Wherever we're at, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're going through, God, just uh, speak uniquely to us the way that that we need to hear from you. And so we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's in John 21... And uh, I got to set the stage just a little bit. So the, the disciples, this is a story that involves the resurrected Jesus, okay? And so prior to this, Jesus has appeared to the disciples twice 
in the Jerusalem area. This story that we're looking at this morning is going to be the third time that the resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples, but it's not in the Jerusalem area. It's in Galilee. And when we read the story and it says, you know, when Jesus appeared again to the disciples in Galilee, it's like a few words on a page and we miss that it wasn't just around the corner, right? Um, It's like a hundred miles north of Jerusalem by uh, kind of walking distance, the route that the disciples would have walked when they left Jerusalem down into the Jordan River Valley and up and around the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. You're talking not an easy, uh, quick trip, right? So here we find the disciples on the western Uh, kind of northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. And most of the story, in fact, all the story that we're going to unpack today takes place on the western, northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Here's a little bit closer picture of it to give you kind of a reference for the Sea of Galilee. So there's some kind of important towns and areas around it. The Sea of Galilee, it's a little bit misleading to call it a sea because in our world, when we think of a sea, we think of like salt water, right? Ocean, tides. It's not uh, ocean. It's not salt water. It's fresh water. Uh, for us in the U.S., we would look at that and say, hey, that's a big lake, right? It's 13 miles from the top to the bottom. It's about seven miles across in the middle, and it's a freshwater lake, Okay. Most of the story is going to take place on the the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, okay? So we're kind of getting an idea of where it's at. The Mount Arbel there is a big, uh, it pains me to reference things in the Israel and say mountain. I grew up in Bonner's Ferry where there are mountains, and even compared to like the Canadian Rockies or the Colorado Rockies, our, our North Idaho mountains are even small. So when we say mountain in Israel, it, like I, I almost can't say it because I feel like I'm lying. <laughs> Big Hill Arbel is on the western shore. And so when we were there, we went up on Mount Arbel. And if you're standing up on top of the mountain and looking out, this is what you would see. You kind of look over the... Uh, the whole area of the Galilee, when you're kind of looking north, northeast, and so this is this whole region. It's really lush and in sharp contrast to the area around Jerusalem, Jerusalem and to the south of Jerusalem that is like one giant rock. And so as you get north into the Galilee region, it's kind of rich and lush and green, and, uh, and it's really pretty. And so for those of you that maybe don't know, most, the vast majority of Jesus's ministry happened right up here in this area that you're looking at. Most of the ministry that Jesus did was in this area around the Sea of Galilee. And so you kind of get a picture of where we're at, how far away from Jerusalem we are, and kind of where this story takes place. So let's jump into John 21, okay? It's in your notes, and it's going to be up here, or grab your old-fashioned Bible app. Uh, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And uh, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing, okay? So the beginning of this story, we see that uh, the guys rally together. They're on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter says, it's time to fish. They're like, we're in, let's go. They go out, they fish all night, and at the end, they catch nothing. Now, 
if you've gone out all day fishing, even on a, like we joke and you say like a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work, right? Like that sounds nice, but still nobody likes to have a bad day fishing, much less all night fishing. And the kind of fishing that these guys were doing was hard work. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a second, but this wasn't the kind of fishing that we're familiar with. Okay, so this is where they're at. They're tired, they're wore out, they're, they're hungry, they got skunked after fishing all night. Check out what happens next. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. So the thing is, uh, we're gonna learn in a minute in the story that they're about 100 yards off of shore in the fishing boats. It's early in the morning, the light's just coming up, and there's a guy on the shore that's going to speak to them, and they can't really make out who he is. Imagine if you're standing on one end of a football field in one end zone, and you're trying to look at the other end zone and make out who's over there. And it's really early morning, like dusk, just coming on. Like, so you're getting an idea like why they didn't automatically know who it was, right? So he, he sends over there, and then he calls out to him. So it goes like this next. He called out to him, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the fish uh, or haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, we read this today, like in our world right now, and we have probably, many of us read this story before, and it's like, huh, they caught a whole bunch of fish. Cool, I guess. Right, like it's if you're really into fishing, it might stick out to you. You might be like, "Whoo, I wonder what they were bait they were using." Right? I don't know. Right? But but we can easily read this and not realize what's going on here. Not realize what a huge deal this was to the disciples. Like this is this is like you guys don't know it right now, but for them then this was like blowing their mind thing that just happened. And in order for you to kind of like wrap yourself up in this story, I got to give you a little fishing lesson. It's not often I get to talk about fishing at church. Two of my favorite things coming together. All right. So how many of you like to fish? We've got a few. Good. And the rest of you are along for the ride. Um, So... Uh, if you follow me on social media stuff, I like to fish. And so I try to do it uh, as often as possible. And every once in a while, I get lucky and I actually catch a fish that's worth showing other people, like this one. Um, is a pretty nice little smallie down from the river. Um, you guys are supposed to be like, whoa! Wow. I'll give autographs later, tell you what I was using, you know, all that stuff, right? Um, the trick is to hold the fish three inches from the camera while you're like four feet from the camera. And you would ama- you'd be amazed at how cool you can make a fish look, right? So when we think of fishing in our world, we think of like a fishing pole and a line and a reel and like a bobber and a hook or jigs or you know whatever, all that kind of stuff, right? Single line fishing. That's not the kind of fishing that the disciples were doing all night in the boat. They were doing a different kind of fishing. And the kind of fishing that they were doing was hard work, right? So uh, I need to help us understand a little bit about fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, you guys ready? I know that you probably woke up this morning. In fact, if you're really sensitive to the Spirit, you might have actually even thought last night, I hope I learn about fishing at the Sea of Galilee tomorrow at church. Right? Right? Because that's what's going to happen. You're going to be a Sea of Galilee fishing expert. So the next time we go, 
We're going to catch some fish. So it goes like this. Check out the Sea of Galilee again. Okay, on the Sea of Galilee, the best fishing is on the north and the west side. Ladies, that means the left of the picture and the top. Okay? (laughs) Guys, you know it's true. Um, Okay. So the area uh, uh, where they're fishing is on the west side of the lake, and so they're fishing at night, and there's a lot of reasons they fished at night. First of all, um, the fish feed at night, they have better eyesight, and it's harder to catch them in a net when they can see the net, which we're going to talk about in a second. And so they fish at night, and then the other benefit of catching a bunch of fish is that they're readily available to sell at the market right away in the morning for food, right? The other thing you do is you salt and cure the fish that you catch on the Sea of Galilee. And the center for salting fish is in Magdala. Mary of Magdalene happens to be from there. You can kind of catch the reference, right? Idaho, Idahoan, Magdala, Lady uh, Mary of Magdalene. Yeah, thank you. All right. I know, when I'm on a roll, you got to watch out. Um, and so that's the center for salting. So that's where you would take your fish to be cured and salted. And then if you're going to export them or have them shipped out and sold, you'd go to Tiberias. So this whole west side of the lake is kind of the epicenter for fishing and processing and dealing with your fish, okay? Now, the next thing up that you need to know about fishing on the Sea of Galilee is you need to know what kind of fish to fish for, right? On the Sea of Galilee, there's 18 different kinds of fish. Okay, Uh, of those 18 different types of fish, 10 of them are used commercially for food or bait or what have you. And of those 10 fish that are commonly used, they divide them up into two categories. Okay, Uh, you're going to be impressed with the creativity here. This was not my naming. This is what they're actually called. Even in Jesus's time, there were two categories of fish on the Sea of Galilee. The first category is the category that I'm the least familiar with, but the most desirable. They are called the large fish, (laughs) right? So they were called the large fish. And of the large fish, the most desirable, the most sought after fish was the tilapia, And so in our story this morning, this particular fish plays a big part, all right? Say tilapia. Now you know, that's the fish to go for on the Sea of Galilee, okay? And uh, there are two categories, right? There's large fish. What do you think the other category was called? You guys are smart. I can tell you guys are all in college. (laughs) First service didn't get that. Small fish. In the small fish, there's only one fish, and it's called sardines. Okay, so you've got large fish, and you've got small fish. Now, here's the other thing you need to know about when you're fishing on the Sea of Galilee, just like when you're fishing anywhere, is you need to know where to find the fish, right? And you need to know what to fish for, okay, and how to fish for them. And so on the Sea of Galilee, the way you fished was with a cast net. It wasn't a line and a pole. It was a cast net. A cast net is a a big net that you throw. They're anywhere from 18 to 25 feet roughly in diameter. The bottom of the net has weights sewn into it or tied onto it for a couple of reasons. When you throw the net, it centrifugal force causes it to spread out, right? So that the whole net is expanded when it hits the water. And then as it sinks, the the weights go down and and like draw the net down. You can see another picture here that shows it sort of like a parachute. So you get an idea of like what it might look like underwater going down. Now in Jesus's time, when these guys were fishing, they didn't have the cool little drawstring thing. I'm not sure why, don't ask. 
because it seems like an obvious invention. This is one of those like million dollar ideas if you were there at the time. They didn't have the cool drawstring thing to pull the net together, and so they actually had divers. And in our story, the diver is Peter. Okay? You'll notice he's stripped down to his skivvies in the story. He wasn't doing that for no reason. All right? And so they would cast the net out. The net would sink to the, uh, down to the bottom. They would dive in. They would kind of gather up the bottom of the net, hook a rope on it, and they would pull the catch in. So as you can imagine, fishing like this all night long was work. Right? This was not just a, a passive sport where you waited for your bobber to disappear. This was work. And so the things you need to know about where to catch the fish, on the Sea of Galilee, for example, take a look at this. Um, this area up here in the, the top left called Heptapicon is a name that means seven springs. And so as you can imagine, there are seven springs that feed into the lake up there. So in the wintertime, the water temperature gets lower. It changes where the fish go. These seven springs bring in warmer water and nutrient-rich food, and it brings in all the bait fish, which brings in all the big fish. And so in the winter, if you want to catch fish, you're in that spot. That is the go-to spot where you can catch all fish, small fish, large fish. But something changes in the spring. In the spring, the water temperature uh, gets up, it gets warmer, and the large fish break off from that area, and they go way north up towards Capernaum up here is where the Jordan River dumps into the top of the Sea of Galilee. They go deeper, and they do something really weird. They break off in pairs, and they no longer like school up together. So they're more difficult to catch in the warmer weather and the warmer water in the spring. They're more difficult to catch. And so you're starting to get an idea of what's going on, like what's happening with how to catch fish in the Sea of Galilee. And it's, I hope it's starting to, your wheels are starting to turn because you're starting to get a taste of what was going on with this miraculous catch of fish because these guys, when this happened... It was blowing their mind. We know in our story in John 21 that it takes place in the spring because uh, Pentecost always happens in the spring. This story has taken place a couple of weeks after Pentecost. Our guys are up north on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee fishing. And because of the time of year and because of the side of the lake and where they were at, we know that they were fishing for sardines. And so we've got a bunch of guys that are experienced fishermen with sardine nets that are really light duty, really fine small netting for smaller fish that have been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. And a guy comes up on the shore and yells out to him, you guys haven't got any fish, huh? To which every fisherman has some words under their breath in response. And, and they, they cast out on the other side of the net. And so you can imagine when they caught this, this bundle of fish, it was so heavy, it said, that they couldn't get it in the boat. They had to drag the net to the shore. And we learned some things in the story. In the text, it says that they drug the, nut to sh- the net to shore and it didn't break. You notice these little details that you read right by and you don't think anything of them. And when you know more of the story about what's going on here, you know what they knew. Now you know why they said the net didn't break because it was a a big deal that this light duty, wimpy sardine net just carried all these fish and it didn't break. Like, hello, that's like me saying I caught a, a 30 pound sturgeon or something on six pound test. Why do I tell you it's six pound test? Because it means that I'm awesome to have been able to do that. 
I don't want to leave that detail out, right? Like this was something amazing. So they caught this. And the other thing they say is that they, they take note to include that it was 153 fish, right? Now, why is that detail in there? Why do we want to know that it's 153 fish? Here's the truth. We don't know. There's lots of speculation. You could Google it and you'll find 29 theories on what the, what the number of fish meant, whether it represented all of the known nations at the time and it represented the disciples catching all of them or it represented a certain portion of the law or the Torah and, and so many of them were fulfilled and them catching. There's just, there's just speculation. There's no hard proof to know what that meant. As a fisherman, here's what I think. When you have the catch of your lifetime, you document it in every way possible, right? When you catch that fish that is the fish that you're gonna write home about or the way they were fishing, this net full of fish, like you got selfies with every one of them, you got pictures. I mean, it's, if it's six pounds, two ounces, the two ounces matters, right? You wanna know the details. I think these guys were like, nobody's gonna believe this. If we say that we caught so many fish, they're gonna be like, yeah, how many? And we're gonna be like, yeah, we counted 153 like 153 fish. Now, here's the crazy thing. In the text, it says that they caught 153 what fish? Large fish. For these guys to catch this catch was not just the catch of their lifetime. It was blowing their mind that they caught these fish in this way. Like there was nothing right about this catch. Everything was wrong about it. Everything was wrong about it. These guys were catching the wrong fish in the wrong net, the wrong time of year, the wrong place on the lake, the wrong location. Everything about this was wrong. It didn't make any sense. And so for them, knowing what they knew about catching fish on the Sea of Galilee, this was blowing their mind with excitement and sort of like, holy smokes, what just happened? I'm excited. What happened? I'm excited. Like they're just like, jumping out of their skin like I would be when I catch the fish of my life, right? The only thing right about this whole deal was that they listened to the guy on the shore. And we're going to find it didn't take them very long. They started to figure out who he was, okay? Um, John 21 Picking it up in seven, he says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he had taken it off, because he was diving. And in the ancient world, you had like an inner, like uh, underclothes, and then you had a cloak. And it was not proper or cool to go and greet people or be out in public with your underclothes on, similar to today. Um, and, and so he, when he knew it was Jesus, it was like, whoo, this is important. I got to get my right clothes on, which it seems funny to us that he, he put clothes on to jump into the water, right? It wasn't about getting his clothes wet. It was about being right before Christ. And so he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off. He jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. So... Here's the thing, They're, they come to shore, there's this miraculous catch of fish, right? Um, for us in this room, 
when we're unpacking and hearing this story about this crazy catch of fish on the Sea of Galilee and it's the wrong fish in the wrong place and, and, and Jesus is the guy that told them to, to cast their nets back out and that was the result. That's what led to this big catch. Like for those of us in this room that have been in the text a while and we have read our Bible a little bit, hopefully this is sparking some memories for you. It's sparking something you're like, I feel like I've heard this story before. And if you're not familiar with the other time in the Gospels where there's a miraculous catch of fish and you don't know the circumstances of that story, then it's really hard to really get the heart of what Jesus is doing here in this story with his guys. So we need to roll back the clock because I need to make sure that we understand this other time there was a miraculous catch of fish. We have to get that. And this other time that there was this miraculous catch of fish, it's recorded in Luke chapter 5, and it is the time that Jesus called his disciples. And so I want you to listen as I read it to you. I want you to listen for similarities in this story when Jesus called some of his first disciples. So let's look at it, Luke 5. It says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. It's just another word for the Sea of Galilee. Gennesaret means harp. And if you looked at the lake shape, it looks sort of like a harp. Uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw it at the water's edge, uh, two boats uh, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to them, Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. That's a good day fishing. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats onto the shore, and they left everything, and they followed him. Now, here's the thing. What we know about that story, when Jesus called his first disciples and the, the context around it and the, the components of that story, we know where that story most likely took place. And undoubtedly, the story that we're reading this morning in John 21 is taking place in the exact same location on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Do you see what Jesus is doing? All these years later, he meets his guys right back where he first invited them to follow him. He sets the stage with this miraculous catch of fish. Like, hey, remember me? We've been here before. He's calling them back to remember what he invited them to be a part of in the beginning the work that he had invited them to participate in, to join him in. He meets him in that very same place. And I think for a lot of us, 
God's doing the same thing with us at different times in our lives. And I, I think probably even today, like, um, I know it was no coincidence that Jesus ended up in that place on that side of the lake in that location and did this crazy, amazing, miraculous catch of fish with those guys of all the guys he could have done it with. Like it was, it was no accident. It was no coincidence that he called them right back to the place where they got their first calling. And I would say in the same way, it's no accident that any of you are here today. That you're in this place at this time for this message. Not just learning about fishing the Sea of Galilee, but being reminded of a, a God that wants to call you back to what he invited you to do in the beginning. I know for me personally, this has been something that I've really, really been wrestling with the last several months with all the stuff going on in my life. Things have happened in my life this last year, particularly the last many months, that are not things I ever expected happening in my life. I got some major curveballs. And it's caused me to step back and second guess Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I where God wants me to be? Do I even believe in what God's called me to do? Like to wrestle with doubt and insecurity and uncertainty of like the, the fear of what's next, right? Like I've spent time wrestling with wondering if I'm on the right path, if I'm doing the right thing. And, and I think if we're honest, probably all of us, have times in our walk like that where we wonder if we're on the right path anymore, where we wonder if God really even called us in the first place or if we just imagined it. Like, was it really real? And the thing is, Jesus goes out of his way to meet the disciples where they're at, where he first called them, to remind them and call them back to what he had invited them to do in the beginning. And I know in my life personally, that's what I've been experiencing. These last several months, for all the buckets of doubt and fear and stress about what's next or what's going to happen or how's my life going to pan out or how's this going to affect my family? How's it going to affect my job? How's it going to affect me personally? How am I going to work through this? Like all all the what ifs. Every one of those, God has met me in his grace with just reminders about who he is. The kind of dad he is when you're going through hard times. He's reminded me about who I am. He's reminded me about what he called me to do. He's reminded me about who he wants me to be. And so when I read this story and I see these disciples struggling, not sure about what's next, I can really relate. I'm like, been living that for a while. And then when I see how Jesus responds, what he does... It sure is reassuring for me. It's comforting for me. It's, it's honestly exciting for me. Because Jesus is inviting them to come back, to be reminded about what he invited them to in the beginning. I think the same thing is true for each and every person here. I think God brought you here this morning for such a time as this. 
that he wants to remind you and invite you back to what he called you to in the beginning. This story kind of wraps up like this. In chapter, uh, verse 12, he says this. He says, Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because at this point, it was clear. They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to him. And he did the same with the fish. And that's kind of what we're going to do this morning as we wrap up. We're going to, we're going to serve communion and we're going to kind of symbolically join the disciples on the shore with a pretty special breakfast with Christ. And so as they're passing out communion this morning, I would say this, if you are ready to follow Jesus, maybe you've been following him for days and days and years and years and like whatever, and today you're just saying, I'm, I'm still following him, take communion with us. If today is a day where you're like, today's the day that I have got to get up, drop my stuff and follow Jesus, take communion with us. Have breakfast with Jesus this morning on the shore. While they're passing that out, let me just kind of recap and remind you what's going on here, right? Jesus was killed, tortured, buried, resurrected. He appears to him in Jerusalem. And just a couple weeks later, here they are a hundred mile hike away. You didn't accidentally end up fishing in Jerusalem. They're back up fishing in the Galilee. They're really not sure about what's next. They're wrestling with uncertainty, maybe some insecurity about was this thing really the thing to commit their lives to? Did they go wrong? What's next? How's this all going to pan out? And Jesus comes and meets them and does this amazing thing. He does this thing. First of all, he reminds them that their, their success rests in him. Like they put all their effort in fishing all night and all he did is show up in the morning at the wrong time of day with all the wrong stuff. And by his command, they succeeded. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. When things work out, like that, that's, that's you. That's your power at work in my life. I don't make this work on my own, right? And then he does something else. He invites him up to have breakfast. He calls him up. Come on, guys. Come up to the shore to have breakfast. But I also love what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't give him a huge lecture. Right? He doesn't sit him down and go, Here's all the ways you guys have messed up. Here's all the, the things you've done wrong. Like, do you have any idea how long of a walk it was for me to get up here and find you knuckleheads? Right? He doesn't lecture them and, and lay it all out for them. Instead, he just sits down and has breakfast with them. And, and the thing is, he really had every right to kind of call them out on their stuff because up to this point, all of the disciples except John had betrayed him or abandoned him. Like he had grounds to sort of go, what's up guys? Three years we've been doing this stuff. You Boom, you're gone. First sign of a hard time. Like he could have called them out, but instead he set them down on the beach and he had breakfast with them. And he, he did it in the place where he first called them to follow him. So this morning, as we get ready to take this communion together, 
I want us to just kind of imagine what that breakfast might have sounded like, what the conversation might have sounded like. I kind of picture it like a meal of reconciliation between Jesus and his guys. Something that you sort of supernaturally get invited into. So if you were on the beach eavesdropping or even invited in, this might have been the conversation you could have heard. Imagine Jesus gets the guys up around the fire and he says to them, well, it's been a long few years, hasn't it, guys? A lot has gone on these last few years. We have put on some miles and seen some things. And we've had some really, really good times. I mean, some amazing times. I think people are going to be talking about what we did for thousands of years. But guys, we've had some really hard times too, haven't we? We've had some days where all of us wanted to give up. He's got them huddled around the fire and he says, but you guys, I want you to know, I want you to know something really important. A new day has dawned. I don't want you to go back to living your old lives anymore. I don't want you to fall back into the, your old way of doing things, your old pattern of thinking, the, the, the way that you used to be before you knew me. I don't want you to go back to that way anymore. You guys, you got to understand there, there's so much at stake and there is so much to do. And I've actually invited you to join me. I want you guys to be a part of this work that God has called me to do. And there is so much work to do. But here's the thing. You're not going to be by yourselves. Like, I, I know it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit overwhelming, but don't freak out. I am going to be with you every step of the way. But here's what I need you guys to know. I need you to know that that what I'm calling you to, what I'm inviting you to be a part of, like it's important and, and I need you. I need you guys to be committed. Are you in? Are, are you committed to the work that I'm inviting you to be a part of? And he rallies his guys together and they eat together. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't guilt trip them. He doesn't beat them over the head with their mistakes. He calls them back to something bigger than them. Something that when we commit our lives to it, people generations from now will get to know and receive the salvation from Christ and receive life-changing help from the Spirit because we stayed the course like they stayed the course. And so we finished by sharing a meal with them. And this morning, we're going to share this meal together. And, and we're going to take this bread. And we know that this bread represents Jesus' body, which he sacrificed for us. And so this morning, when we take this, this is like a time of declaration for us. This is sort of a draw a line in the sand on the beach with Jesus. And it's like, yep, I'm in. Right? We're, we're making a declaration this morning that we believe that Jesus gave his body for us And when we eat this, we declare that we believe that's true. So let's eat together. And this cup represents Jesus' shed blood. 
In the same way, we're making a declaration that we believe that the shed blood of Christ is what paved the way for forgiveness of sins. And that when we drink this, yes, we're remembering what Jesus did for us personally, but we're also making a declaration. We're stepping over the line in the sand again saying, I'm in. This wasn't just for me. This is for everyone that God's called me to share this message with. And so this morning, let's, let's remember that and make that declaration as we drink this together. We're going to finish this morning with some worship together and, and not just words to a song, but we're going to actually like belt out these things as statements that we believe. They're not just lyrics to sing. These are things that we get the opportunity to like cry out to God and say, this is what we think about you, Lord. And here's the thing. As we do that, we're going to have people come up front and we're going to have people off on the sides to be available to pray with you because this morning, if today's the day where you're ready to step over the line in the sand and follow Jesus. You're ready to lay your old way of doing life down. You're ready to set that aside and go, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I don't really know what that even means. I just know that I'm ready to start. Then come and pray with somebody. Tell us, let us pray with you. If today's the day where you're like, hey, like the disciples, I went back to fishing for fish. And I forgot that he called me to fish for people. Like I'm off track I need to get back on path on the path. Then come and pray with somebody. Don't leave here this morning without letting somebody put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. So let's stand and let's either uh, worship together or come and pray. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.